Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of the Flyer Up Podcast. I'm your host, Amadeo Gracia, along with my partner, Chris Mayer. And in this episode, we're going to try to make it a little longer. We have a lot of things to talk about, some fun things that happened recently with the Philadelphia Flyers. The NHL Hall of Fame inductees were just announced. And we're going to do something a little interesting, go over a little bit of recent Flyers history of general manager Ron Hextall. Some people say they hated him. Some people said they loved him as the GM. It's really give or take whatever you want to choose. But we're going to go over more of the more impactful moves that he has made in his tenure as a Flyers general manager from his signings to the draft picks. So that's going to be more near towards the next half of this episode of the podcast. But first, let's get into more of the news that happened recently. So the more everyone knows what happened yesterday in Flyers Twitter. So at first, they and like they posted a random tweet that just said 123. So we figured, oh, is something going to be posted at 123 in the afternoon on that, on that day? So we just, we just had to wait and see. And it, it was the most tear-jerking thing I think that every Flyers fan and NHL fan wanted to see. And that was Oscar Lindblom skating for the first time and who knows how long since he was diagnosed with cancer and that, that that had to shed a tear in literally everyone who saw that post whether you're a Flyers fan an NHL fan a Philadelphia sports fan just anything just seeing what Oscar has been going through and how much better he has gotten in each of his treatments to seeing him back on the ice practicing right now with the team well practicing with the players that are currently at the skate zone and that's just it, it it's 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 nice to see. I know I stuttered there for a little bit because it's just it's it, it's it's kind nice of lost to see. for words. Yes, basically. And yeah, I mean, it, it, like yesterday when I found out about it, I went to make a video, and I actually it took me three times to actually record it because I found myself starting to starting to like tear up as I was talking about it, and I was like, I I, I can't have this on there because I. It's rare when I get emotional in videos, and or, or unless I'm pissed off about a game, but it's uh, it, it's it's rare if I ever get mad like that. The only time I ever remember getting upset uh, on a video was when the season was canceled, or not canceled, sorry, suspended. Um, that day, I I was on my way home from school, uh, and I just started bawling my eyes out walking home. Um, but besides that. Uh, it's been happy moments all around. Yeah, you you, you got you to get a perfect image for yourself on camera. You can't cry. You can't get angry. You got to be it simply perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially especially when you're, uh, you know, continuously trying to make the same uh, the same things and keep it keep it professional and things like that. Yes. So, in regards to this limp, seeing Limblom his pictures on the ice, it's just it's fantastic to see what he's going through and how much progress he has been making since his diagnosis there's no way in hell that he's gonna be playing in this playoff round it's basically just to get his legs warmed up just to see how he's feeling he looked great on the ice he loved it and it's who knows how how much longer and maybe like next season we can see something where he's starting to train a little bit more maybe get even closer back into shape for nhl action but like i don't expect oscar to be back on in the lineup on the team probably for like another I would say another season or two until he gets his like he's fully healthy he's fully back in 100 percent shape to play in, in the NHL so it's it's something nice to see right there and it was a definite tearjerker right there for the Flyers community 
So the Hockey Hall of Fame has announced its 2020 inductees for the Hall of Fame this year. So the six inductees are going to be Ken Holland, the current GM of the Edmonton Oilers, Marion Hossa, the former Chicago Blackhawk, Jerome McGinnis, the longtime Calgary Flame, Kevin Lowe, former defenseman of the Edmonton Oilers, Kim St. Pierre, one of the more well-known Canadian women Canadian goaltenders of the women's national team, and she's very famous. She won three gold three gold medals gold medals with the Canadian Olympic team, and then you get Doug Wilson, the current GM of the San Jose Sharks. So there are your six inductee classes right there. But I think Kevin Lowe is one of the inductees that's a little more, I guess, controversial. Not a lot of people agree with that. I know, Chris, you told me earlier that you sort of don't agree with the Kevin Lowe inductee. So no, I kind of, no. I kind of want to hear your reasoning for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> first off, Amadea, that was that was good, dude. You finally butchered the name there, um, and it was funny because I had my mic off for about two minutes there as you were talking because I was cracking up laughing because that was the third time we tried to record that because <laughs> you kept butchering the name. Um, but in all seriousness, um, that was. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I feel like there's a couple guys, and obviously this is biased because why wouldn't it be? But um, it wouldn't be a Flyers podcast if it wouldn't be biased. No, um, I, I think the thing is, is that there are some guys that could have been in over Kevin Lowe. I mean, literally, if you if you were to say that Kevin Lowe can make the Hall of Fame, then you can literally say Kimo Tiemann can make the Hall of Fame. I mean, it, 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 to me, it's just like why? <laughs> like he he was like the seventh. Like bottom, he was like seventh team in, like bottom six for the Oilers, wasn't he, for a while? Um, and that was like when they were, you know, like the dynasty, like when they were like really good. I, I don't know too much of him, but I, I've heard a lot of outrage of it. And to be honest with you, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like there were some flyers that kind of got that, that got snubbed. Brendan Moore is one of them. Um, I think Ken, Hitch, Ken Hitchcock could have got it. Uh, and along with, um, what's his face, Brian Propp. Um, I think he definitely could have got in as well. I know Jamie Pascal was making a very good case for him, which I was uh, starting to agree on. Yeah, I mean, so like, a- a- anyway, it was kind of just like, you know, I-, I thought about it. And I was just like, you know, there was there was kind of a couple guys to me that were just like, you know, like, to be honest, it's not like it's like a superstar class, but it's still a pretty damn good class. I mean, Doug Wilson, Aginla, I was r- honestly very surprised with Marian Hosa. Um, I was kind of surprised that McGillney didn't get in. Um, there was no, uh, who else was one of the guys oh, I was watching the hockey guy the other day and he had a list of a bunch of guys that could have gotten on. I don't know. I don't, don't, I don't know if you saw that video or not. Um, I did not. yeah, he had like nine guys, I think. And I'm trying to think, oh, uh, there was Tom Barrasso, um, a couple other goalies, Mike Vernon, Theo Fleury. Uh, and, and then there was a few others. He, and then it was funny cause he actually said that, man, uh, was a lock for him and he was right. I mean, he was, was he the first name that got announced or no, that was Ken Holland, right? I think it was Ken Holland. The first one on here that yeah. was announced for the hall of fame, but Jerome mm-hmm. again, love should have, it was definitely should have been a first ballot hall of famer for his amazing career. Yeah. Unreal. Absolutely. Unreal player. It's just sadly he went through an entire career, never got the chance. Well, he had the one chance to win the Stanley Cup with Calgary, but sadly, you know, everyone That's screwed. Everyone believed the goal. The goal still. Everyone believed to this day that the goal went in, but we'll never know right now. And he had more chances down the line, but he just his the team around him could just never get it done. 
sadly. He, and he's just one of those great players. It, one of the many great players who go down and just never won a cup, sadly. Yeah, it's funny because there's a lot of players like that. I mean, yeah. to be honest, I, I feel like I, I, I feel like that if Marty San Luis didn't win a cup, he'd be in the same boat. And you, you got people up to, you got two players of the day, Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton is at the the last bit of his career right now, and who knows if he's even going to be playing next season. Yeah, and just, then you also have Henrik Lundqvist as well. Henrik Lundqvist as well. Just like there's a lot of players that are still playing in this league that have tremendous careers and just could never, like either they get to the finals and they just couldn't win it or the team around them just was never good enough to get over that hump. Claude and Drew. They, Claude Drew is still young enough to where he could still win a cup. And yeah. who knows? He could win that cup this year. Yeah, he can. Who knows? Who, yeah. who knows, everyone? But still, like, <laughs> they're, like, like, as continued, the, there's just a lot of players in this league, fantastic players that just go down in history without winning a Stanley Cup and a lot of Hall of Famers that haven't won a Stanley Cup. And I feel like that's where some of the bias towards people who get into the Hall of Fame were... If like I feel like the common public will think, oh, you have to win a Stanley Cup, you have to win so many specific awards to be qualified as a Hall of Famer. I don't think you have to meet those. You don't have to win a Stanley Cup to get into the Hall of Fame. That's that's to be that's, honest, a, that's a lie. With you, I think it's people think of it as as it being the NHL Hall of Fame. It's yes. the Hockey Hall of Fame, not the NHL Hall of Fame. So realistically, none of that stuff matters. Yes, it matters, but. You get what I mean. To an extent, yes. it doesn't matter because it, you know, we 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 see Kim Saint Pierre get in, right? And I had no clue who she was, and then I looked up some stuff on her, and I figured out, oh, I was like, oh my god, she's pretty good. And then uh, Lanny McDonald was was uh, he was stating some some stats, and I was like, wow, she she had some really good stats. I don't remember what they were off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and look, um, but she was just unbelievable. And I had no, I didn't, as I said, I I didn't have any idea who she was. Yeah, and I think it, for Team Canada itself, she leads, I think, team in, like, the Olympic tournament, she leads in most wins, shutouts, and I think save percentage. It's either save percentage or goals against, but she leads in all three categories. So she's one, she's one of the best goaltenders for Team Canada in their history. I believe it's save percentage. I think he, he said she had, like, a 9, uh, 963 or a 936. Yes, because she flip-flopped. Yeah, because she was on the team can the women's Canada teams that won the gold medal in O two and then O six and then twenty ten in Vancouver. So she was on all three of those teams that won gold medals. So she's had a lot of success in her, success in her career. And granted, she was she was one of the main reasons Canada won those gold medals. So credit to her and credit to all those people who made the, the Hall of Fame. So at Hall of Fame, who knows if for you, Chris? I know like with the Rod Brindamore, the Brian Props and all that stuff, maybe down the line. I think Rod Brindamore is probably most likely to. He'll probably get his chance. I would say maybe not in the near future. I would say more in the distant future, maybe when he's more a little bit older, but who knows with the, with the Hall of Fame votes. So he can, he can see it in the near future. He can see it in, in the further future. You just have to wait and see. So congratulations to these people who were inducted into the uh, NHL Hall of Fame class for this year. But let's get on to some other news that it's in the NHL. So we all know with the Tampa Bay Lightning that some of their organization staff and players have tested positive for COVID-19 and they had to shut down their facility for safety protocols. And just recently, they reopened their facilities and 
is this too soon? Because we all know the uh, the quarantine, you have to be in there for at least 14 days. And I think it's only been like five days since they announced that their players and staff member were diagnosed, well, tested positive for COVID. And I kind of feel like opening up the facility, this might be a little too soon. And I know we're getting closer to the start of phase three, but still it's, it feels like this is too soon. And like, what do you think about this, Chris? Is it too soon? Is it, do you think it's good enough that they stayed close for five days? Like, what do you think? I mean, maybe it's they're opening the facility, but the players can't go until they're done, uh, you know, self-quarantining. Self, uh, is that is that what it is, or is it just... That's because they, they, re, they reopened the entire facility, so I'm assuming, like, the players who, like, weren't diagnosed or did not test positive and the staff member, I'm assuming they can go back and still practice, but, like, yeah. it, it's still, like... The, a little I feel too like, soon. I still feel like the building should have been closed for a little bit longer just to make sure it's it's safe enough for these players to return there. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to tell, to be honest. I mean, obviously, we don't we don't know what the extent was and, you know, it, if they got it from the building or if they they had it and they contract they contracted it before and then it went in there. I mean, there's so many there's so many aspects that can go into it. But it's just like, I mean, I, I, I mean. I guess it can be too soon, but I, I think I'm gonna just go with what they're doing. If if they know, I think what they're trying to do is obviously the best thing, right? So I think realistically, if they think it's okay to open it, then it's okay to open it. But I, I mean, I don't really. It, it's so hard to tell if it was you know too soon or what, because there, as as I said, like there's so many things that really that can go into it. Definitely, and I know, uh, and like transitioning into what we well MLB, we we all know MLB the the next day they're actually gonna play baseball for once, so. With the whole thing that's going down in Florida right now, I think like like with the hubs season all that for the NHL, we all know like they're gonna go somewhere else. Tampa Bay's gonna be playing somewhere else. But like if you're talking about like just the state of Florida right there, like what for like the couple of teams in baseball that play in Florida, like the the Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays, are they gonna be playing down in Florida or are they gonna be going to another ballpark, maybe in a different state closer to all that? Because I know with the way they're lining the divisions up for Major League Baseball. I think there's they're going to make it sure so there's less travel. So like every, like teams from the NL East and the AL East they're going to be playing each other. So like say if you're the Phillies, you're going to be like I would say at least I would say at least two thirds of your games are going to be against the National League East, and then a third of your games are going to be against the American League East. So it's going to be it's going to be less travel for every team. So like the NL Central they're going to be playing the AL Central, and then the both West divisions are going to be playing each other. So Will teams like the Miami Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays have to go to a different ballpark, maybe in a different state that's not as heavily and heavily uh, corrupted as Florida is with the coronavirus right now? We have no idea. And it's a good thing that Tampa Bay is getting out of there sooner or later with these hub cities for the NHL. But I still feel like it's a little too soon with this facility opening up, but I can understand that they have to get the players back into shape. All these players are still coming back in for their training camps, which phase three opens up in like, I would say almost a week and a half right now. July 10th is like right around the corner right now. You can honestly blink and it's already going to be July 10th. That's how quick time goes in this day, in this day and age. So it's, it's weird right now. And then speaking of the hub cities, so Vancouver, it's a little bit of a weird situation with, with British Columbia and Vancouver right now. So they might, like there was a big rumor or heavy rumor that Vancouver was going to be one of the hub cities for the uh, playoff format, 
But right now, we might not see Vancouver as a hub city right now because there's a whole situation going on right now with with British Columbia right now in the NHL. We don't know what's going to happen, if they're going to be a hub city or not. We are expecting in like the, the next few days or so to hear an announcement of what the hub cities are going to be. We're expecting Vegas is, is going to be one of those hub cities, but we still don't know what the other hub city is going to be, whether that's going to be somewhere in Canada, like Vancouver, like Edmonton, Toronto, or something like that, or somewhere else in the United States. So we still have to wait and hear from the NHL what the hub cities are going to be. And Chris, what do you think the next hub city is going to be? Do you think it's going to be this Vancouver, even though they're going through this situation with British Columbia, or do you think it's going to be another city? I I have no idea. I, none. I mean, I feel like it's going to be out west. I, I I can't see them going east because I can't see them trying to have travel like that. I think if they're going to do it, they're going to want to be at least somewhat closer to each other instead of across the country. Um, Realistically, I think it could probably still be Vancouver. I think they might be able to work it out. I think Edmonton's got a good shot. Um, They already rolled out Chicago and L.A., correct? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean. They rolled out Pittsburgh as well. Did they? Okay. Yes, they did. Uh, Winnipeg wasn't one from the beginning, were they? I'm not. I think most majority of the Canadian like areas were <clears throat> at, at first in the writing. I think Winnipeg was one of them. I think majority like Calgary was one of them. Edmonton's still in the race there as of right now. Toronto's in the race currently. I'm not sure about the Montreal's and the Ottawa or anything like that, but I know like majority of the Canadian teams had their bid in for a hub city. But I think the ones that stood out more were Vancouver, Edmonton, and Toronto. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, to be honest with you, if they're narrowing it down, my guess is they can probably figure out the Vancouver thing. Yeah, probably. But if if not, I'd have to guess probably Edmonton. Yeah, because I if think... they already said Vegas is one, I'd have to think it's got to be somewhere close to Vegas, and those are really the only ones that come to mind if it's already narrowed down. Yeah, I I think Edmonton, like originally at first it was going to be like, I think Vancouver was like one of the top running ones for a hub city, but then Edmonton started to creep up a little bit. So I think Edmonton has a better chance to be a hub city just because of this whole thing going on with the with the city of Vancouver and British Columbia. Yeah, so, so and and to to be clear, Vancouver it's not a numbers problem with Vancouver, right? I don't think it's a numbers problem with Vancouver at all cuz I think they're with the numbers in regards to COVID, I think they're one of the fewer numbers in Canada right now. I think their numbers have have been declining, which so it's just like a a situation with the city and the province right there going on with like if they want them to be a hub city or not so i i'm not sure if it's like just a safety protocol or like they don't want all these people coming into the city being making the city more at risk for covid so i think it's just more of a safety precaution so but we're not going to find out like maybe for like the next few days whether or not the what the hub cities are going to be so that's it really for the news right now in the National Hockey League with the Oscar Lindblom, the Hall of Fame inductees, Tampa Bay, and the Vancouver situation. So let's get into what we were going to, t- going to talk about in the next half of this podcast, and that's Ron Hextall's tenure as a Flyers GM. Oh, so boy. he, yeah, it's definitely no boy. <laughs> so Ron Hextall was brought into the Flyers organization as an assistant general manager to Paul Holmgren in the 2013-14 season. And then as that season ended, Ron Hextall was promoted to the GM position as Paul Holmgren was stepping into the president role of the Philadelphia Flyers. So we're going to go over not every single move because that's going to take forever. 
but we're going to go over want to gouge my eyes out. Yes, but we're going to go over more, some of the moves that were more impactful for the franchise at that point in time and what impra- impacts the franchise right now. So let's go into the 2014 season. Well, let's actually go into the 2014 draft first before the moves, because that was really the first time we saw that was Hextall's point at GM right there, because that was when Paul Holmgren was given the mantle over to Hextall at the draft, which was in Philadelphia. So in the first round of that 2014 draft, Hextall selected Travis Sanheim, who is a member of the Flyers right now. And in the second round, Nicholas Albi-Kubel, who is a current member of the Flyers right now. Then you get Mark Trubin in the third round, who is currently, he's been up and down with the Phantoms and the Flyers, but he can still make a heavy case of being at least a sixth or seventh defenseman in seasons to come. And then you get in the fifth round, Oscar Lindblom, who was currently a big impactful player for the franchise until he was he went down with, with cancer. And then you got in the sixth round, Riddell Fazleev, and then seventh, Jesper Pedersen. So I would say for a first draft for Ron Hextall, it was pretty good. It was yeah. definitely pretty good. Yeah, solid draft. Uh, to, to be honest with you, I not many people may remember Fazleev. I remember him a lot from development camp. I saw him a lot. I remember his play style. Um, he's kind of like a... His shot style reminded me a lot of Malkin. I don't know why. It kind of reminded me of Malkin a little bit. Um, and kind of just the way that he played. Um, but, you know, he never really panned out. Same thing with Jeff Peterson. But uh, still a good a good draft regardless. Yeah, definitely. For our first draft as being the general manager, that's definitely a good introduction point. Yeah. So let's, let's go into the rest of 2014 after the draft. So he signed free agent at that point, Pierre Edward Belmar. So he, we all know Pierre Edward Belmar. He was with the Flyers for a little bit. He was kind of a fan favorite until he got selected in the expansion draft to the Vegas Golden Knights. So that was one of the first moves Hextall made for signing wise. And then he extended Kimo Timonen for a year at one year, 2.75 million. And then he also extended Braden Shen two years at 2.5. So a couple of signings right there. But then we get into some of the trades in 2014. So on June 23rd, 2014, Ron Hextall traded Scott Hartnell for R.G. Umberger and a fourth-round pick that was later traded to Los Angeles. And then that pick eventually turned it into Mikhail Vorobiev later down the line. So we all know, you, Chris, as well, and also every Flyers fan at this point was wondering, why the hell was Ron Hextall trading away Scott Hartnell for R.J. Umberger? And we all know what happened after that. Scott Hartnell had a 60-point season, well, 60-plus point season with the Columbus Blue Jackets that season, while R.J. Umberger really didn't do anything with the Flyers. And, Chris, I know you expressed your anger, so why don't you express your anger with this trade? God, I remember this very vividly sitting in my grandmom's living room uh, watching 6ABC News with my dad. And we're sitting there thinking to ourselves, why? Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> at, at the time, you know, the only thing that I can think of now is Hartnell's contract. And Umberger's contract was relatively the exact same thing. So that it, makes absolutely no sense as well. I think that was the main reason because of Hartnell's age at that point and also his contract. But then, like, you also think that, oh, my God, Hartnell had an incredible season with Columbus the next Th- year. That's, but that's why it makes me think, like, why? He goes and puts up 60 points. He had 28 goals. Like, it, it, it's just mind-boggling to me. He had to be tanking that season. I, get- I, I, think, I think what it was was that he wanted to tank 
and the upper management didn't want didn't want him to. Uh, that was a definite yes. I, Ed Snyder at that point, like he would he would never accept the tank. He always wanted his team to be somewhere in the mix. They were always in the playoffs. They were signing these big name free agents, and he was going to let Hextall do his thing, but he didn't want Hextall to tank. So Hextall yeah. had to go, I guess, sort of into a plan B, which was a, I guess, a, I wouldn't say a rebuild, retooling, but a retool, basically, I would say, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was one of the first big moves of the quote-unquote retool of the Philadelphia Flyers in the Ron Hextall era. And then the next trade that Hextall made was on July 2nd. This is a very mini trade. This He traded time again for a third-round pick, and that third-round pick eventually turned into Felix Sandstrom, who is one of our top goalie prospects in the system. So that was a little nice trade right there, nothing too big. It was just time again for a third-round pick, and it turned into something good for us. So then we go to another signing. So on September 25th, he signed Travis Sandheim, who he just drafted to a three-year entry-level contract. And then on October 2nd, he signed Nicholas Obi-Kubel to a three-year entry-level contract. So two players that he just drafted signed them to an entry-level contract. So that's nice right there. So yeah. let's go into the 2015 season. And the, and one of the bigger trades. So we all know Kimo and he was getting towards the end of his career. He was getting injured a lot. And he wasn't really a mainstay in the Flyers lineup during that season. So the plan was to probably trade Kimo Tiemann in a way to a contender and just get something back for him. So this trade right here. So Hextall traded Kimo in on February 27th to the Chicago Blackhawks for a second round pick and a conditional fourth round pick. And then those picks were eventually packaged to get Travis Konechny and Wade Allison. So... Flyers got some picks back in return that eventually turned into something good for us. And for the Chicago side, they got a depth defenseman that I can use as a healthy scratch. And for Kimo team, and he won a Stanley Cup for it. So that's good right there. And everyone remembers uh, Jonathan Taves giving the Stanley Cup first right to Kimo team, and after Chicago won that Stanley Cup. And that I was... really wish that uh, Taves gave Kimo the cup like Sackick did to Bork. I wish I wish Taves didn't even lift it and just gave it to him. Yeah, I can definitely see, but it, it's, 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 that's asking a little much. <laughs> I know. I know it is. Because, like, think about it. It's Taze's uh, third cup in five years. It's just yeah. like, yeah. But so, it's funny. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want this thing. Take it. <laughs> it's, it's funny. <laughs> because when they traded Tiemann in that night, I was young at this time. I think I was 12. I think I might have been in seventh grade. And that night, that was a Friday night. I remember it because I met. Zach Ronaldo at a uh, dynasty sports. I think it was up in Willow Grove. It was like, uh, it was an autograph signing and he had something for like proceeds go to uh hockey fights cancer or something like that. Um, or it, it was either that, or it was like another, uh, cancer foundation or something like that. But, um, I was, remember I was coming home from this and I heard about this trade and Amadeo, you may remember this, but the, the next day, that Saturday night, the flyers played the Rangers at home. And Timonen was actually supposed to play because Timonen had blood clots at this time, and he yes. was supposed to play um, that game. And I had tickets for it. And at the time, you, I don't know if you know this, but Timonen was like one of my favorite players. Him and Hartnell, him, Hartnell, and Voracek were like my three favorite players at the time. And I was so excited to see Timonen, and I bawled my eyes out on the car ride home because they traded Timonen the night before he was supposed to play, and I could have saw him live. For the first time in a long time, because I, 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 as I told you before, I only saw Timonen like a, a handful of times live, 
because I became a fan right towards the end of his career with the Flyers, and then they traded him. So it kind of sucked, but it was kind of just like one of those things. So basically, if you're now listening to this thinking that every time that there's a trade, there's going to be some sort of like depressing moment after every one, probably, because a lot of these trades suck. (laughs) It's just like, oh my God, what are you doing? Because because I did I did a video on this too, and I did part one of fourteen and fifteen, and I have to get to the other years. I'm going to do that in a few days. But uh, man, I was just sitting here like, what the hell was this guy thinking? Sometimes <laughs> it just <laughs> makes me I'm think sure, like, oh my god. I'm sure a lot of Flyers fans were thinking the same thing as you. Like what? Like, like yeah, there are definitely some moves that like Ron, what are you doing right now? And then there were some moves like, okay, maybe he's playing to do something, but can you actually do this other thing that we need? You know build the team right yeah but but i digress but let's move on a little bit so after the chemo team and trade on march 2nd he ron huxtell extended pierre Edouard belmar for another two years at seven seven thousand well seven hundred thousand seven hundred twelve thousand five hundred per year so that was a little nice extension for belmar until he eventually got selected in the expansion draft but then on that same day in 2015 ron huxtell traded Braden coburn to the tampa bay lightning for ratko gudas a first-round pick, and a third-round pick. And then those first-round picks were eventually swapped between Toronto, then Columbus, and that's how we eventually got Travis Konechny. And then with that third-round pick we got in the draft, we we got Tomek in the draft as well. So the Flyers benefited, benefited from that. They got a defenseman for Braden Coburn, who played with us for a couple of years. We got some picks, and we got a player that's impacting our team right now and is one of our best players in Travis Konechny. So you think he panned out a little well on that trade right there, Chris? You yeah. think everything? Yeah, you I think do. So? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah. So after the 2015 season, so this is going into the 2015 offseason. So th- this is the move that, you, that haunted us for a while. So on May 18th, Ron Hextall decided, he, well, before this, he fired head coach Craig Berube. And then on May 18th, he hired Dave Hextall from the University of North Dakota as the coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. And everyone knows Dave Haxtell's tenure here. It sucked. He was great. No, he wasn't. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> Do not lie to yourself. He was one. great. What are you Do talking about? Not. Do not. Just, just no. Just no. Oh, don't. God. Just no, no. Just don't. Stop lying to yourself, please. I have this um, on this Google Doc that me and Amadeo use. I have this in about triple the font as everything else just to remind myself you know you know i know what i'm gonna print this out and i'm gonna put this i'm gonna tape this on my wall and i'm gonna sit here at my desk and i'm gonna read it every day i'm gonna wake up in the morning roll over and look at may 18th hire dave haxtell as head coach for the philadelphia flyers yes and i'm gonna roll back over yes (laughs) so we all know how dave haxtell turned out but let's get into some other trades that actually happened before we get into the 2015 draft that Ron Hextall had. So on June 26th, this was actually during that draft. So he traded the 2015 first round pick and a second round pick for the pick from Toronto, which selected Travis Konechny. And then on June 27th, he traded a 2015 fourth round pick for a fourth round pick and a sixth round pick that was able to select Mikhail Vorobiev and Anthony Salantrini. So Mikhail Vorobiev, he's been up and down with the Phantoms and the Flyers so far. He plays really well for the Phantoms. Can't really figure it out in the NHL level. Is he going to stay with the Flyers next season? Is he going to go to the KHL? 
We have no idea. What but do you think? I think KHL. I don't think the, I don't think Chuck Fletcher is going to resign him. I don't I think just, he is either. It's just, it's just that like he does so well in the AHL, he just for some reason cannot figure it out in the NHL. He can't I don't, get over the hump. I don't get it. Like I'm like granted, we're not expecting him to be this amazing player, but no. like at, he at be least better. I mean, he least, dominates in the AHL. At least play good. Dominates. At, at least be a good bottom six forward. At least. Oh yeah, I just mean, please. He, he could be good enough to probably be like a, a third line center, to be honest. Yes, definitely. In, in, not in a, in, well, that would have probably have to be in, in an injury riddled team for him to be a third line center, but you get my point. Yes. I mean, he, he could be a, that good of a player. And the thing is, is I, I really don't know if it's anything else. I really don't. Mm. I mean, I, I cannot put my head around why Vorobiev just can't get through whatever it is. It's a question we'll never be able to figure out to this day, and maybe never. So let's oh. move on to the, one of the next bigger trades that Ron Hextall made. So this was mainly more for a salary dump. So this was on June 27th. This is when the Flyers still had control of Chris Pronger's contract. When he technically, quote-unquote, wasn't retired, but he was on injured reserve because he didn't want to destroy the Flyers' cap situation if he were to retire. So Ron Hextall traded Pronger's contract and defenseman Nicholas Grossman to the Arizona Coyotes for Sam Gagne in a 2016 four-round pick. In Gagne, he played that 2016 season with the Philadelphia Flyers. He, he had a he, he had a decent season. It was nothing spectacular, but then it, it was nice. And then that four-round pick was eventually traded a couple of times, and then it was used in a package to move up in the 2016 draft to draft Isaac Ratcliffe. So that pick eventually became useful in a trade. So Chris Pronger's salary was dumped. And a lot of these trades in the early years of Ron Hextall was mainly salary dumps to get that ridiculous cap space off of the Philadelphia Flyers. Where Paul Holmgren put us in, as I remind you, Paul Holmgren was the reason the Flyers were in a terrible cap situation because he just signed players to ridiculous contracts, i.e. Vincent LeCavier at the end of his prime. Ugh, that like Shea Weber. <laughs> I, I, oh, well, we didn't get Shea Weber, <laughs> but that would have been horrible. It would have, it oh, definitely would have, but my. we never got him, so it doesn't count. It doesn't count, but, but does it though? No, it doesn't because we never made the move. <laughs> but, 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 but think about it. It's no. still, no, no, no. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it counts like. <laughs> Horrible move for the Flyers, but horrible move for Holmgren. Yes. 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 It still counts for Holmgren, but not not for the Flyers. Sorry, I should have. I should have. Uh, I should have said that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like you're, you're just like shut up. <laughs> shut up. Uh, yeah, Paul Holmgren. Yes. <laughs> so, Amadeo, let me ask you something. Yes. Did you like Holmgren as GM? To an extent. I at didn't the see much of them. So at the beginning, I liked it. It was more in the beginning, like when it was around like the 2000, 2008 season where I like, I wasn't really paying attention enough. I was just like, okay, the Flyers are making these big moves. Okay. Maybe the team's going to get better. But then once I got older and then realized like this was after, this was really around the time where Jeff Carter and Mike Richards were traded. And then we signed Briz Goloff to where I was like, eh, Paul, what are you doing there, buddy? Uh, you okay there? Honestly, I liked both of those trades. The, the Richards Carter. 
the Carter one helped out immensely. Oh uh, yeah, the Carter one did help out immensely. The Richards trade, yes, it did give us uh, Braden Shed and Wayne Simmons. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it, like We're arguably the, two of the best flyers of this decade. Yes, but that, but like at the time, you were thinking, why is he trading away two of the best players on our roster? Yeah, and then signing a goaltender to what a ridiculous contract. Mm-hmm. But then, but then, why uh, don't sign goalies at that much money? Yes, you, you don't sign, but Carter Hart maybe might, might be the exception. Carter Hart might be the exception. You think there's any way they, they don't sign Hart to that? If they sign Hart to like a bridge deal or something? It depends. Uh, I, I honestly could not tell you that. I'd, I would think it would be in the right mindset to get Carter Hart locked up long term for the future. I'd have but, to think too, but I'd have to think long term about short term money. Maybe. But I that, could... that's all going to be dependent on what Carter Hart wants too. I mean, I, do you really think that the kid is going to want that much money? With with a lot of the young guys in the NHL these days making a lot of money, Carter Hart's definitely going to make an argument. Yeah, for but those. I mean, Hart is different than other people, though. I mean, you see how nice the kid is. That might have something to do with it. He might be humble, you know? Who knows? But that's... I hope that's, he's like that. I, I really hope he doesn't demand that much money. Could you imagine if we lost him? I, I would be upset. Uh, I've seen so many... EA NHL like twenty videos where Carter Hart like is on another team because like someone actually, I think claimed him off or claimed him from his from his RFA status like they they sent the contract to him he signed it and he left the flyer sadly I saw one that was a uh, fantasy draft and the Penguins drafted Carter Hart oh boy that's that no that's a nightmare actually that's, that's like a, Craw- that's like Crosby on the Capitals oh god no Vetchkin <laughs> on the Penguins oh boy. No, that that would be weird, like 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 the flip flop of Crosby and Ovechkin. No, that that'd be weird. Imagine if we had uh, Tristan Jari and they had Carter Hart. I'd be mad. I'd be or, very mad. What if the Rangers had Tuukka Rask? What if Toronto had Tuukka Rask? Holy shit! <laughs> That's the real question you should be asking. What if Toronto had Tuukka Rask? Uh, what if Boston had Kurt or had a uh, Jonathan Bernier? Who knows? Who knows? What if they had Dion Phaneuf? <laughs> Because they already had Kessel at one point, so it's not like they have to go back that far. Yeah, Could have had Lupul, Tyler, Tyler Bozak, JVR, maybe, mm. maybe. Man, so, we think. So moving on from the Chris Pronger trade, let's go to June 29th. So this was honestly, this was honestly a really good trade at the time because no one really expected this or t- to even work. So Ron Hextall traded Zach Ronaldo for a third round pick. And that third-round pick eventually turned into Kirill Ustamenko, who is one of the Flyers' top goal-pending prospects, who is currently with the ECHL Reading Royals and also spent some time with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. So that pick turned out really good for us. Thank you. Like, no one expected Ronaldo was able to be traded because you just didn't expect that. Yeah. Like, who would want Zach Ronaldo? But I, well, I don't know. And, and now he's actually, like, decent with Calgary. Decent isn't is to an extent. No, I, I swear to God, like he's he actually isn't like he's like playing for the Flames. He's not like it's not like he's like a, you know I, I believe he's like I believe he's kind of in like Chris Stewart situation, really just with the Flames. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Interesting. That's him a... and uh him and Lucic dyed their hair blonde. Really? Yeah, he dyed his hair blonde. Oh, okay. him and I, I know Lucic did, but Ronaldo? Yeah, Ronaldo did. You can look up a picture of it. If you if you go on your computer right now and you look up Zach Ronaldo Flames, it'll literally come up him in uh, blonde hair. 
Okay, I'm going to do that right this second, everyone. So let's look up Zach Ronaldo. With I believe the I, I, I could have. I see a lot of these have a helmet on. I'm trying to figure it out, though. Oh, yeah, I see it. I yep. See it. It's got blonde hair with the flames. Yep. Yeah. Okay, moving on because I don't want to see that again. <laughs> <laughs> that that just reminded me of the night that we did the one podcast um, and we started cracking up laughing at. Uh, um, Jonathan, uh, what's his, or, uh, sorry, uh, Jonas Gustafsson, the picture oh, yeah. of him. He, he looks like a mugshot. <laughs> he looks like a deer in the headlights. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. That, that's a good memory to bring up. But let, actually, let's, before we get into the rest of the signings from 2015, let's go into the 2015 entry draft. So the Flyers had two first round picks, which were very impactful for the franchise right now Ivan Provorov and Travis Konechny. So, Two of our best players on the roster right now. Yeah, definitely a good first-round pick for Ron Hextall right there. Then you got in the third round, Felix Sandstrom, who is one of our top goaltending prospects. Also in the third round, Matej Tomek, another goaltending prospect for us. In the fourth round, Samuel Dove McFalls, which is a great name for a player. A very great name. I wish he panned out. <laughs> because so that, do I. That'd be a great name. <laughs> that'd be an amazing name. So in, also in the fourth round, Mikhail Vorobiev was selected. In the sixth round, David Kasha was selected, brother of Andre Kasha. And David Kasha has been up and down with the fan- with the Phantoms and the Flyers. He got his first NHL goal this season. So maybe, maybe who knows what's going to happen in the future with him. But I would like to see if him get a shot a little bit. And then also in the sixth round, Cooper Merity was selected. And then in the seventh round, Ivan Fedotov, who is also one of the Flyers' top goaltending prospects, drafted in the seventh round. He is a tall man playing for Russia. And he is one of the better goaltenders out there, right there. I just got so confused. I looked up Samuel Dove McFalls on uh, on Google, right? Yes. And there was it says that there's an article from five days ago on Dove McFalls. I click it, and it comes with three an article from three years ago from Tim Panaccio on NBC Philly. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I'm trying I'm trying to figure out what league he's in because it says he was actually still plays today. He does. I'm just yeah. He's 23 years old. Um. U Sports, do you know what that is? I do not know what U Sports is. He put up twenty six points in thirty games played, nine goals, seventeen assists. Interesting. Uh, he plays for the University of New Brunswick. I'm assuming it's in Canada. I would think so. Yes. Hmm. So, let's move. That was a very nice draft right there, especially like a very top heavy good first draft for in the 2015 for Ron Hextall, but let's go yeah, into the rest of the signings. Solid from, draft. Yeah, definitely. Let's go into the rest of the signings from 2015. So on July 1st, he signed Michael Neuwerf to a two-year contract worth 1.625. And we all know the goaltending tandem that we had with Steve Mason and Michael Neuwerf for at least a few years right there. And then he decided to bring back Neuwerf and not sign Mason, which was honestly probably the best thing that you, even though both goaltenders went down, to the downfall of their careers, but Mason really downfalled before Neuwerf did. So let's not get into that. So on July 3rd, so he signed Ivan Provorov to his entry-level deal, then connecting to his entry-level contract. And then on July 28th, he extended Sean Couturier for six years at $4.333 million annually. And that is one of the biggest steals, well, biggest steals re-signings for Hextall in his tenure as a flyer because the way Katoria is playing right now, he is nowhere worth his contract. He is worth probably maybe between eight to 10 mil. 
And I'm very afraid when Sean Couturier becomes a UFA because of how much money he's probably going to demand. And that makes me scared. Doesn't that make you scared, Chris? Dude, honestly, like, all I care about is that if the, I just hope that the Flyers win a Stanley Cup before Kutz's contract ends. Because then they realistically don't have to worry that much because they won a championship and they're going to need him if, you know what I mean? It's not like they're going to have to lose him and then they're like, oh, great, now we don't even have a cup and we have to worry about signing Coots and then all that stuff with the money and everything. So I hope that they can win a cup or two, um, you know, before Coots' contract ends in 2022-2023. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, that's that's definitely a scary situation right there. And hopefully, like you said, the Flyers win a cup before his, uh, before his contract comes to an end. But then... Two days after Sean Couture was extended, on July 30th, Jake Voracek was extended for eight years at $8.25 million annually. And then you get the some Flyers fans that are saying that he's not worth that contract. And then you get some of the Flyers fans that are defending him. Like, for me right now, in the regards to Jake Voracek, I wouldn't say he's worth the money he's making, but he's doing his best, I guess, to make up for that fact. Like, he's still a big contributor for this team. It's just sadly, like in the points wise, he's not where he's not scoring at the pace that he did when he got that contract extension. But he's still a big factor and a contributor to this team yeah. to where I'm not going to hurt him that much. I, I, I mean, he's been over 50, 60 points uh, ever since he signed that contract deal. Yeah, he's been a consistent 60 plus point player. But I think what people like see, they see the 8.5, 8.25 million. They say, oh, he's got to be a point per game player every single season. If yeah. he doesn't make that point per game, he's not worth that contract. And, and that's... it's a shame because uh, there are many players that want contracts like Voracek that are, are nowhere even close to that. Definitely. It, it's definitely a reason right there. And then a signing that was not until September 21st. So this was a, this was a free agency signing. So an, un, so an undrafted free agent, Ron Hextel signed Phil Myers to a three-year entry-level contract. And that turned out to be one of our top prospects right at that point. When Ivan Provorov, when Travis Konechny came up, Phil Myers was one of the top prospects in our system. And now he is one of the bigger, he is one of the main contributors on the Flyers defensive core right there. So an undrafted three agent somehow landed in the hands of Ron Hextall right there. And that, and he does that again in a few years later, which we will get into soon. So let's get into the 2016 season. So, well, the tw- the year of 2016. So, on January 6th, he traded Vincent LeCavier and Luke Shen to the Los Angeles Kings for Jordan Wheel and a third-round pick. And that pick would be later selected to get Carson Twerinski. So, Vincent LeCavier, he was way past his prime when Paul Holmgren signed him to that contract. Luke Shen was another salary dump. He just wasn't panning out after the Flyers traded James Van Riemsdyk for him. So a major salary dump to the Los Angeles Kings and the Flyers get Jordan Wheels. He played really good for them in his first few years here, but then he started to dwindle off a little bit. And then we got Carson Twerinski. So I would say at this point that trade was a win for the Flyers right there. But sadly, Jordan Wheel didn't really turn out to be anything, sadly. I don't know. You probably remember this. You remember when Wheel was on the first line? Yes, I did. With, uh, Jerome Voracek? Yes. I, I, li- I really liked Wheel. For a while, to be honest with you, I thought he was he was a good player. He was, and you know it it sucks because he never really panned out. But you know he, he he was a solid player for a little bit there. Yeah, I, I wish he was able to turn into something. Like I wasn't expecting something major from him. At least be no. something really 
good, but sat like his first couple, his first like year and a half was really good, especially like when he was called up after he scored his first NHL goal. Then he went on a little bit of a run right there. I wish he was able to regain some of that magic he had there, but sadly he didn't. But we did get Carson Terensky in that trade with that third round pick, so I'm, I'm not too angry about it. And we also got the, the cap dump out of there. So that's something Ron Hextall knows how to do is dump salary on another team. So that's something good right there. So let's move on to another signing. So on February 26th, Ron Hextall extended Michael Raffle to a two-year, another two years worth $2.35 million. So Michael Raffle, he has been one of the mainstays in the Flyers lineup for a long time right now since the year 2013-2014 season. So... Michael Raffle, he's been one of the major contributors, so I'm not I'm okay with this signing right there. I like Michael Raffle and I like what he's been able to do for us. And then on April 5th, so this was going into the playoffs that season. So Alex Line was a was one of the top free agent goaltending prospects coming out of college from Yale. And Ron Hextall was able to get his hands on him and he signed him to a two year entry level contract. And then Alex Lyon, he's been one of the better goaltenders for us down in Lehigh Valley. And when he was able to come up, he would play okay at times, but then other times it wouldn't look so good. He's more of a guy that's really good down for the AHL, but his it's the same thing. Like, his game can't transition well into the NHL, which is a sad thing. But he's been really good down there for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, which is nice. So we go into June 24th, and this is another extension right here. So Ron Hextall extended Ratko Gudis to a four-year contract worth $3.35 million annually, and say what you want about Ratko Gudis, because honestly, I was fine with Ratko Gudis. Like, I was, wasn't really a fan of him when he took the stupid penalties and he got the suspensions. But then once he got towards the end of that end of his time with the Flyers, he was honestly one of our best defensemen on a very bad team, sadly. Yeah, but, he was. But Ratko Gudis, I was okay with his time, but, and it, it did turn out we got Matt Niskanen out of that, so I'm fine with the Ratko Gudis at this point. We did get we get we did get Matt Niskanen, which I'm fine with. But, yeah, and Chris, and I'll I'll take it, you know, because I agree with everything you said. I didn't necessarily like Gudis that much. I, I I liked him a little bit. Um, for me, I think if Gudis got you know half the minutes he did, he would have been better. If Gudis got third line pair of minutes instead of like 18 minutes a night, which if you actually go back and look at his average. He averaged around 1830 and I it ended up going down to like 1716. But even still, that's a lot for a guy like Radko Gudis. That's yep. a lot of minutes. And I think if he got less than that, um, he would have been better because the more the 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 more time he's out there, it, it's just the more time it's realistically it's more time just for him to screw up. Um yep, definitely. <laughs> so I so I kind of just think that if he had, you know, if he was re- really just able to play what really what he was brought here for for a third third pair deal um i think if if that's what he was brought here for he would have done a lot better yep so let's get into the next trades be like right at the draft for ron hextall here in the at the 2016 draft so on june 24th this was the first round of the draft so he traded the flyers 2016 first round pick and a third round pick to winnipeg for the chicago blackhawks first round pick and a second pick from winnipeg and that first-round pick turned out to be German Rubstoff, and our second pick turned out to be Pascal LeBurge. So, German Rubstoff, he's 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 been really good down there for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. He just can't stay healthy, sadly. That that's been one of his gripes right now. He just can't stay healthy. But when he was was able to play, 
he was really good for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. He's got some time up in the NHL, but he really hasn't been. He's really been playing like four fly minutes, so he really hasn't got that much ice time with the Philadelphia Flyers. And for the situation of Pascal LeBurge, we all know the Flyers at that at that stage of the draft could have selected Alex DeBrinket, who we all know what he's doing right now with the Chicago Blackhawks. So at at, at that point, LeBurge was highly was highly touted for that pick. It's just sadly, like he was really good when in his time in the juniors. He just sadly he sustained a concussion and he just hasn't been the same since. It's just one of those situations where you, the pick's good at that point, but then he gets injured and then he starts to downgrade from there. And then a pick that you could have selected and Alex DeBrinket turns out to be a big contributor for a team like Chicago, where he scores forty plus goals one season. So it's I could say, would you say that's kind of a miss right there for Ron Hextall, Chris, in that draft? It's yes and no. I mean, he makes up for it. He drafts Hart and then Wade Allison right after. Yes. So it's not like it's realistically not that much of a miss. But if he gets to brink it, that's like that's the icing on the cake right there. Yes, that is definitely. I would if he drafts to brink it right there. That's one. That's probably the best draft he he has had. And yeah, like, it's up there. Yeah, I can agree that, with that. And that's like comparing it to Ivan the draft with Ivan Provorov and Travis Connecting because I would say the 2015 draft class that Ron Hextall had was 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 very top heavy because he got two key contributors in the first round that are with the team right now. And that, but like if he was able to get a guy like DeBrinket, Carter Hart, and Wade Allison all in the second round at once, that would have been a really nice draft right there for Ron Hextall. Really nice draft right there. And let's continue with that 2016 draft. So like we said, first round pick was German Rubstoff. Your a second round pick was Pascal LeBurge. And then the second round pick after that was Carter Hart, who is the, the young phenom in net that we have right now and is going to win Vesnas and Vesnas down the line. It's going to be an amazing career for Carter Hart. And yes, that's definitely be, me being very excited right there and not overly <laughs> dramatic. So, no, but, no, but, no, but, no, it's, no. But, but it's true. It's true. It's all, it's, it's all going to happen. Just believe me. So oh, then yeah. af- after the Carter Hart pick in the second round, we drafted Wade Allison, who Chuck Fletcher did just sign to an entry-level contract. So that's nice to see right there for Wade Allison finally signing that entry-level with the Flyers. Then in the third round of that draft, we selected Carson Twerinski and also in the fourth round, Connor Bunneman, who were both in the Flyers starting lineup at the beginning of the season. So it, those are two guys that we can call up and be some depth pieces for us. So that's nice right there. With the fifth round pick, we selected Linus Hogberg. And in the sixth round, Tanner Lindzinski, who we just signed to an entry-level contract. Sixth round was Anthony Salintri. And and then seventh round was David Bernhardt. And is it David Bernhardt the one that the Flyers are trying to sign to the entry-level? or? Yeah, um, that, yeah, yeah, it's the one that was in between of, is it Hogberg, Bernhardt, Hogberg, Bernhardt, Hogberg, yes. Bernhardt. It was Hogberg. Yes. Um, yeah, and yeah, because I knew we signed Hogberg to the to the contract. I just couldn't remember if we signed Bernhardt to that contract. No, no, they didn't have enough roster space. Because remember, at the time, they were looking for Wyatt Kalnick. Yes, um, and that was the thing they were trying to figure out: is is Kalnick turning pro? Is he, you know, yeah. going back to college? Is he doing this that? So I think it was more of just you know, uh, let's wait and see. Um, I think they're they, they said that they were going to monitor Bernhardt's progress, so that does not mean that they're not going to sign him at a later date, um, which yeah. I think they should because I think he's a fabulous. Um, yeah, yeah, I think he's a good defenseman. Um, I don't know why I said fabulous. Um, he's, <laughs> he's not. He's not fabulous, but he's he, he's a solid defenseman. He could be um, fabulous. He could be fabulous. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's, it's funny because I, I think about this a lot. I, 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 I think about it today, too, because I wish that they signed um, Bernhard instead. And I only say that just because of his size. I can see that. I mean, I he's 6'2". Yeah. And on skates, he's, what, like 6'3"? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, nothing against Hogberg at all. I like him, too. It Really, it, 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 they couldn't go wrong with whoever they signed. Yeah, they could. No, I mean, it, it's a tough decision, but, you know, I, I think it was more, realistically, I think it was better for him to sign Hogberg, but it's all right. Yeah, definitely. So let's go to after the 2016 entry draft, and let's go into some free agent signings and also some extensions. So on July 1st, Ron Hextall did had five free agent signings. Some of them were more for depth pieces down the AHL, but the big one was, and I, I mean, this is probably the biggest move that Ron Hextall made in his tenure. Uh, he signed Dale Weiss to a four-year contract worth $2.35 million. Yes, Dale Weiss. The, <laughs> The, uh, the 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 person we've all been waiting for the big signing that everyone wanted Dale Weiss that turned out that that was a and waste of a now, signing. Can can you tell me what day that was again? That was July first. July first. That's a day that Ron Hextall wasted five years of. Yes. Literally did nothing on July first at all. If you like, Amadeo, go and look. You ready? Let's look at this. July first. Let's let's take a look here at Hextall, at all of Hextall's free agency days. Right. This is just nothing. Oh my god, he did nothing. He did absolutely nothing on free agency day. Oh, but he he did sign James Van Riemsdyk. Yeah, that, that was that was at the last. Yeah, the the, the the last one he did, and that was the only thing he did. And they had to be- yes. probably beg him to do that. Oh my god! They probably it's, did. Yeah. So they signed JVR in eighteen. Um, signed Peter, Dale Weiss in sixteen. Oh boy, Dale Weiss. Twenty seventeen. Uh, he signed. He signed three other players. Brian Elliott being one of them. The other two, I believe, um, were kind of guys that didn't really pan out in the AHL or just kind of like old AHL veterans. Um, God, five. And, and just as you said, there was five signings that year, and Dale Weiss being one of the main ones. So really, nothing else. Uh, yes. 15 Neuwirth, <laughs> like, come on. Um, oh my God. It def- it, it's, it's, it doesn't, the signings for the NHL roster weren't Hextall's strong suit. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, like I can, like, I don't know whether to blame the front office. It's just like, like he, like, I know like they were begging him to probably go out there and sign someone. So it brings people into the stands and makes people excited. But then you also got Hextall's stubbornness to like just stick with the plan. It's going to work in the future. We're going to be a dominant team. Just let the prospects develop. And I think that was one of the one of the uh, weaknesses of Hextall. He was too afraid to take a chance on a young player early, and like he was so keen on we have to let them develop the right way. But it's just like some players don't take that long to develop. Look at Carter Hart. He was. So insist persistent on Carter Hart needs this much time down in the AHL to develop. He gets fired. We have no choice but to call Carter Hart up, and he's phenomenal. So that was one of the weak points of Hextall's tenure. He was afraid to call up young guys. So let's. I would even though like I feel like honestly I feel like he didn't want to bring Ivan Provorov and Konechny into the lineup either. 
he was kind of forced to because Provorov and Konechny were just too dominant for the junior leagues where they shouldn't have been staying anymore. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I honestly feel like he didn't want to bring those two into the lineup. He wanted them to play in the, NH- in the AHL, but sadly they were too dominant in juniors and they had to be brought to the NHL. And that was that. But thankfully he did because they eventually develop into two great players for yeah. our team. And it's, and it also, this will go later into 2017 when we eventually draft Patrick, but we'll get to that later. So let's get into some of the other signings right here. So on July 14th, he signed Pascal LeBerge to his entry-level contract three years. And then on July 25th, he extended Braden Shen to a four-year contract worth $5.125 million annually. And then on October 2nd, he signed Carter Hart to his entry-level contract. So let's move on to the 2017 year for Ron Hextall. So on March 1st, he traded Mark Streit for Val- to the Tampa Bay Lightning for Valtteri Filippola, a fourth-round pick, and a conditional seventh-round pick. And those picks turned out to be Maxim Shusko and Wyatt Kalnuck. And then eventually, Tampa flipped Mark Streit to Pittsburgh, and then Mark Streit won a cup with Pittsburgh. So there you go right there. So honestly, you could say... I know like there's been that like one thing where when the Flyers trade their players off the roster and they go to another team, they eventually win a Stanley Cup. And sa- sadly, some of these things are true. When Holmgren traded Carter and Richards, both of them won a cup with the Kings. And then now you got Mark Streit right here. He wins a cup with the Penguins. So and all and Kimo Timan, he won a cup with the Blackhawks. So yeah. it's 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 tough. It's tough. And that th- and that rumor is kind of true that when you're traded out of Philadelphia, you're going to win a cup. Sadly. Depression. Yeah, depression. <laughs> that is also one thing. Yeah, that's uh that's great. So after oh, that God. Mark Strike trade. He extended Pierre Edouard Belmar to another two-year contract worth seven hundred thousand, well seven hundred twelve thousand five hundred. On March first, he extended Michael Neuwirth to a two-year contract worth two point five million dollars for two years, and then he signed German Rubstoff to his entry-level contract. He signed Mark Friedman to his entry-level contract, Connor Bunneman to his entry-level contract, Vorobiev to his entry-level, Oscar Lindblom to his entry-level, and then on June 9th, he extended Shane Gossespierre for six years at $4.5 million. And there's a lot of things we can say about Shane Goss' bear right now. But at the time, he was deserving of that contract. At the time. But right now, it's like, what do you do with him right now? Like, do you give him the chance? Do you take a risk trading him and possibly getting something in return? Does he need a change of scenery? Do you trust him in this 2014 playoff format, in this playoffs, maybe to give him some nice time? Like, even though that's a decision for Elaine Vigneault to make, but for the future, like, what do you do with St. Shane Goss' bear? That's one of the main questions right now. Uh, Chris, do you have any ideas? Like, do you think the Flyers should, like, entrust Shane Goss' bear? Or do you think he needs that change of scenery? I, I mean, I, it's, it's tough. I know that. It is. It, it's like, personally, I think Ghost has a lot of talent left where I think you keep him. I mean, realistically, what guy do you see miss half of the year and then come back into the lineup and get put on the second power play unit? You don't. Exactly. So that right there shows the coaching staff, you know, they know about Ghost. And I think the thing is that the media gets too much into his head. The fans get too much in his head. The trade rumors get too much in his head. It it, it has to calm down a bit. I mean, I, I just... I just don't know, man. I really don't know. It, it To me, I, I think part of me... You know, in, in, instead of... Because the, because I feel like whenever the f- people talk about 
the Flyers trading someone, right? It's always brought up at, about Ghost. Yes. And it's always got up, well, trade Ghost, trade Ghost, trade Ghost. Does it always have to be Ghost? Like, why can't it be like a, a Connor Bonneman or a, or a, a, a you know, a, a, a Carson Torinsky? You know, someone like that. You know, like, why does it have to be Gossesper every time? Because he's a big name on the team, and he's a guy that everyone has high expectations for, and he's not meeting those expectations. So when he's not doing that, that's the first thing people come to is trade him. Trade but, him and get something for him. Yeah, I get it, but but why? <laughs> because <laughs> but, but why? that's yeah, the... I, like, I, I get it. I, like, I, I get what you mean, and I'm not, like, carping on you. I'm just saying, like, it it, it, it bothers me because I just don't get it, man. It, 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 to me, it's just... I feel like it's just a waste. Like it, it's it's like people think his value is, is like is like worth a, 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 a you know like a like a bag of pucks. I just don't get it, man. And honestly, like with his value right now, in the way he has been playing, his value isn't. If if you're looking at trade value, like maybe he has that those couple teams where they still believe that potential's within him to be that top scoring defenseman that you have on a team, mm-hmm. but. It's still like with the way he's been playing for the past few years, like you never know where you're going to get his fir- like, yeah, his first year was his rookie year. That was fantastic. He had the point streak. He was in in votes for for rookie of the year that season. Then the next season he w- he was playing injured and he got the surgery after that. Well, he was playing after surgery, so he was struggling. So that was one of the main reasons for his struggles. But then going towards the end of that season, you started to see that traditional St. Gossip's bear where he was playing to where he was confident. And then in the twenty six the twenty sixteen seventeen season, that was the best season for Shane Gossesbear. He had a sixty plus point season, and that's where people's expectations start to rise from there. Once you get the sixty plus points, maybe that expectations kind of got into his head a little bit, and he started to maybe doubt himself. And that's where it's coming to right now. In the past few seasons, it's just been a struggle to watch him play. And there's going to be a lot of teams that see him as not valuable. And he's a guy that's washed up right now. And it's a guy that, that looks like he's a head case with himself. And he yeah. can't get it together. So his value sort of drops right there. And t- until you see something where you can say that he's going to he's gonna turn it around. He's going to become this again. But you just can't say that until you see it. Until he proves it. Mm-hmm. And the coaching staff has to put their faith in him to make him prove that. And if they don't put their faith in the gossip bear, he's not going to play. And he's probably not going to be on the team in the near future. He's going to be finding himself somewhere else. So, yeah, I mean, realistically, a change of scenery is never bad for a player. It's never at all. It's perfectly feel, okay. And I feel like Goss is fair. If the Flyers do move him, he needs a place where the media isn't too big to where he can just focus on himself and play. And, and what, what, now, what team could you think that would be? Honestly, I would say the Florida Panthers. It's his hometown team. The media attention, like, they don't, like, I know, I hate to grape on the Florida Panther fan base, but, like, fans don't show up to the arena, sadly. Mm-hmm. So maybe, like, playing in that atmosphere, the media's not that big on the Florida Panthers when they have the Miami Heat, they have the Tampa Bay Rays, the Marlins, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the football teams, too, the Buccaneers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Dolphins. The, the Panthers are last on that list of Florida teams, so the media's not going to focus on them that much. So maybe the pressure for him is not as big than, say, playing in a, in a city like Philadelphia. If if Gossip Bear was playing in a city like Toronto, they would destroy him. Look what they did, <laughs> look what they did with Jake Gardner. Yeah, r- really. And and, uh, and Dion Phaneuf. Yes, and Dion Phaneuf. Phil Kessel. <laughs> I, 
I'm Phil Kessel. I, I say what you want about Phil Kessel. Like he was a wasted talent in Toronto, sadly. And then he went to Pittsburgh and won two cups. Sadly, yeah, he was. Yeah, his talent is sadly. So it, it was basically six years wasted for Kessel. Yes, it definitely was. But then, hey, he turned out and won two cups with Pittsburgh, sadly. Sadly, he won it with Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was happy for him, even though it was the Penguins. I've always liked Kessel. Yeah. So let's move off of that talk, and let's go into more trades from Ron Hextall. So this is at the 2017 draft. So on June 23rd, the first round of the draft, Ron Hextall made a big trade for once. He traded Braden Shen to the St. Louis Blues for Yuri Lotera and two first-round picks, the 2018, the 29th pick in that first round and a 2019 first-round pick. So that first-round pick they drafted that year was Morgan Frost. And then the 2019 first-round pick they drafted Joel Farabee. So Joel Farabee has been one of the one of the uh, younger guys in our lineup this year. He's been making a name for himself. Morgan Frost, one of our top prospects in the system. He's He's been up and down this season. Mainly, he he probably needs more development time with the AHL more than Joel Farabee does. But for, for the long stay right now, Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee are going to be big contributors for this team going down in the future. And Yuri Lotero was just, if you're getting two first-round picks from us, you're going to have to take this guy. It's They weren't going to give just two first-round picks for Braden Shen and then take on Shen's contract plus Yuri Lotero's contract. So it's like, hey, if you're giving if we're taking Shen and you're giving these first round picks, take this salary d- take this cap away from us so we can, you can get those first round picks. It was one of those kinds of trades. And people still want to grape on that trade saying that St. Louis won that trade right now. Like, right now St. Louis won that trade cuz they won the cup with Braden Shen. But you still you ca- still can't judge this trade until both Frost and Fairby are mainstays in the lineup. You can't judge it. So, let's move on to June 24th. So, this is more of a pick swap. So, Ron Hextall traded the 2017 second, third, and fourth round picks to the Arizona Coyotes for a second round pick, which turned selected Isaac Ratcliffe. And speaking of the 2017 draft, let's look at the draft picks that Ron Hextall did. So, in the first round, he selected Nolan Patrick, Morgan Frost, and then in the second round was Isaac Ratcliffe. Third round was Kirill Ustamenko. Fourth round was Matthew Strom. Fourth was Maxime Shusko. Fifth, Noah Cates. Sixth, Ali Lixel. And in seventh, Wyatt Kalinuk. That's a decent draft right there. I would say it right there. I personally believe that that is his best draft. You think so? Yeah. I think that's his best draft. I can definitely see that right there. Like Nolan Patrick with the whole situation going on right now, he's still, like, if he's able to overcome what he's going through right now, I still believe he has a ton of potential. Morgan Frost, he's one of our top prospects in the system. Same thing with Isaac Ratcliffe, one of our top prospects. I would say the first two rounds of that draft were really good for Ron Hextall. I feel like the whole thing was good. There's no bad player in that draft whatsoever. I think all of them have unbelievable talent. And that's including Strom and Lixel. Because I know know what the way Strom is, um, and me and you have talked about that before, and Lixel being a little off as well, compared to and nothing against him just compared to the others. Um, Sushko, I think, is one of the best wrist shots in our system, to be honest with you. Cates is a phenomenal player. Wyatt Kalanick is one of our best defensemen. Unbelievable for a seventh-round pick. Uh, Ustaminko, one of our best goaltenders. Obviously, everybody knows Patrick Frost and Ratcliffe. Um, But that right there, I think that is Hextel's best draft, uh, to be honest, because I think the other ones pan out kind of towards the later rounds. 15 kind of pans out a little bit, sometime in the middle, sometime at the end. 
seventeen perfect through the whole thing. That's why I think it, that that's that's why I think it's the best one. I can I can believe you're right there. So let's go into the signings right here after this draft. So on July first, Ron Hextall, there was three three agent signings right here. A couple of them were more depth pieces. So the bigger one was signing Brian Elliott to a two year contract worth two point seven five million. And Brian Elliott right now is the I would say the one A one B situation for the Philadelphia Flyers right now. He's I would say he's more say the backup right now, but you can throw him in there when Carter Hart is struggling. So really? Brian Elliott I, I could say so right there. Brian Elliott has been very helpful for us. When oh, yeah. Hart... Oh, yeah. I, I get what you mean. But do you really think it's a 1A, 1B? With the way they're playing them this season, like with Carter Hart struggling on the road, Brian Elliott's getting more of the road starts. I, I would definitely say Carter Hart is definitely more of like the the starter. Like it, it is Hart's net. But like when Carter Hart like, like deals with a little bit of struggles, you go with a hotter goaltender if Brian Elliott is that guy. And he's been in games where he steals games for us. Sadly, I mean, not yeah, sadly. I mean, I, I can see. Yeah, I can see that for you. Um, and I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think my thing is is that re- realistically, from the whole thing is that we know is Carter Hart's net. Yes. So that's why I'm kind of thinking like it's not really like it's it it can be looked at as a one A one B. I don't think it is because realistically, the whole time it's it's been known that it's Carter Hart's net. It's just like you're, you're with one A one B situation. Like everyone's like going off of like Carter Hart struggles on the road, but he's really good at home. And then like, what if you throw Brian Elliott there on the road, and then you just keep Carter Hart starting the home games from the rest of the road? Even though that's probably not going to be the situation going into the playoffs, that's definitely going to be Carter Hart's net. You might see Brian Elliott throwing there, maybe in like an exhibition game or in the round robin tournament, just so he's fresh in there, just in case we need th- we need him for something. Hopefully that doesn't come to the case, but. He'll definitely be fresh to use him. So let's move on to the other extensions and signings from the 2017 offseason for Ron Hextall. So on July 11th, he extended Scott Lawton to a two-year contract worth 962500 annually. And Scott Lawton's one of the more, one of the more uh, be- better bottom six forwards for us and made him one of the more helpful bottom six forwards for us since like he's been drafted. So And that's re- re- been really helpful for us. And then on July 15th, he extended Alex Lyon to a one-year contract. On July 15th, he extended Anthony Stolarz to a year contract. Remember when we had Anthony Stolarz? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I also remember that. And on July 17th, he signed Nolan Patrick to a three-year entry-level contract right there. And then on August 3rd, he signed Morgan Frost to his three-year entry-level and also signed Isaac Ratcliffe to his three-year entry-level contract. So let's move on to the 2018 year for Ron Hextall. So... This was when the Flyers were, like, during the season, this was when the Flyers were pushing into the playoffs right here. And this is when Brian Elliott and Michael Neuver were going down with injuries. And we needed a goaltender. So, on February 19th, this was a little bit before the trade deadline, Ron Hextall traded a 2018 third-round pick to the Detroit Red Wings for Peter Morazic. And Peter Morazic, for his time, when Brian Elliott was down with injury and Michael Neuver was struggling with injury as well, he was a good helpful goaltender for that run to get into the playoffs. So I wouldn't say it definitely wasn't a bad trade. It's just Peter Morazic just didn't stay with the Flyers. He went on, he went to the Carolina Hurricanes and he's had some decent seasons down there with Carolina. He went to the third round last year in the playoffs with Carolina. So I guess Carolina benefited from that free agent signing and the Flyers technically did benefit from that trade because Peter Morazic did help the Flyers come closer to a playoff spot. So there are more signings. So on March 11th, he signed Carson Torinsky to a three-year entry-level contract. Then he signed Maxim Shushko to a three-year entry-level contract. 
On March 15th, Matthew Strom was signed to an entry-level contract. Then on March 17th, Felix Sandstrom was signed to his entry-level contract. And on May 4th, David Kasha was signed to his three-year entry-level contract. So signing a lot of rookies and prospects to their entry-level contract. So that was one of the main reasons why the Flyers had one of the better prospect pools as Hextall was getting further in his tenure with the Flyers because he just drafted so well in those drafts, especially like in later rounds. He got a lot of good a lot of good pieces that he signed to entry-level contracts. So let's continue. So this is an extension right here. So on June 26th, he signed Samuel, extended Samuel Moran to a three-year contract worth 700 k annually. And sadly, for the health situation of Sam Moran, it, it, he just hasn't got lucky. Like, he can't catch a break with getting injured. And that's been that's been like hurting his case to be a, a, a player in the NHL right now. Like, he just cannot stay healthy. And I remember when the Flyers drafted him, everyone was so hyped because it was a big body defenseman. People were giving him the comparison to Chris Pronger type of style. And then just all of the injuries happened. Every injury, one after another, and he just couldn't catch a break. So hopefully when he's finally 100% healthy, he can finally catch a break. But then we just have to wait and see for Sam Moran. And then like Chris said earlier on July 1st, he finally made a big move for Hextall. He signed James Van Riemsdyk to a six-year contract worth $7 million annually. So JVR has been a major a major goal scorer for us for the past two seasons. The first year, he was close to 30 goals. It, he would have reached 30 goals if he wasn't injured for a good amount of the first half of the season. Yeah, he got injured and, in the second game. And in this season, he struggled to get it going a little bit. But then once he got to his hot streak, you can see like that's the guy we signed to that $7 million contract. It's just that James Van Riemsdyk is more of a is a hot and cold player. That's what he is, sadly. And sadly, he can't be more consistent. I wish he was more consistent, but he's just one of those players where he's hot, he's really hot, and when he's cold, he's really cold. And thank and thankfully, when he's hot, he can score goals in bunches. I just I just wish the power play this season he was able to contribute more to it because the power play like at the beginning of the season the power play wasn't really clicking. But then once we got closer to like more when the season stopped, that's when the power play was starting to click a little bit more. So hopefully JVR, we, we don't know like the, the future with James Van Riemsdyk. Are the Flyers going to protect him in the expansion draft to Seattle? We have no idea, but he's going to be an important player, especially in the playoffs coming since he's going to be fully healthy from his hand injury. So that's going to be a, a very important time right there for James Van Riemsdyk in the lineup. So let's go to July 7th. He extended Alex Lyon to a two-year contract, and Lyon has been a mainstay at the main starter for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. So that's been a very important signing from a Phantoms perspective. And then on August 1st, he extended Robert Haig's contract to a two-year $1.15 million annually. And then in September, this is another big undrafted free agent signing. He signed Jaeger Zamula to a three-year entry-level contract, and Jaeger Zamula is one of the top defensive prospects in our organization. And he's training under Ivan Provorov right now, which is very hype right now. It is very hype. Chris, is it hype? If I could scream, I'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. If if you can stream, scream, you can definitely do it. And then let's move to October. This was during the season. So this was when the Flyers were having a lot of goaltending injuries. So we were expect everyone was expecting Ron Hextall to make a move because so many goaltenders were getting hurt. He technically did make a move. He claimed Calvin Pickard off of waivers. And 
Uh, Calvin Pickard, you you would say what he, it, it was not good in his little stint with the Flyers. He did get a shutout against the New York Rangers, though. He got that shutout, but he was eventually claimed off waivers once again from to the Arizona Coyotes. So, uh, Calvin, uh, that that 2018 season was just a blur. And then Ron Hextall eventually did get fired. So yeah, but let's talk about the 2018 draft too, because he did he did have some good picks in the 2018 draft. I'll I'll give that to him. In the first round, he selected Joel Farabee. And then that fir- the other first-round pick, we, we still don't know how that's going to pan out, Jay O'Brien. We still don't know how that is going to pan out just because of the situation that was dealing with him in college. So hopefully hopefully that finally pans out and he turns out into something good because everyone was expecting him to be like that. He's going to be either that prospect that turns out to be really, really good or just really, really bad. So hopefully that turns out. So in the second round, he also selected Adam Ginning. In the fourth round, it was Jack St. Ivany. Fifth round was Wyatt Willie, which, Chris, you say that's possibly one of the steals of that draft. I think so, yeah. Wyatt Wiley's a fabulous defenseman, and I believe he's ambidextrous. I think that's what that term is called, so yes. he can play uh, he, he can, can play right-handed. And, yeah, he can play right-handed and left-handed. Yeah, definitely. That That is very useful. He can, hey, if his stick breaks on the ice, give me a left-handed stick. I'll use any. So... <laughs> It's it's a it's hard to read it's hard to scout that too like oh is Wyatt really going to use left hand or right I'm I'm sure he's going to choose like which hand is going to be the dominant hand coming into like his pro career but that's all that's that's funny to think of like which hand is he going to use coming into the pro league it, it's just a fun little thing so in the fifth round he selected goaltender Samuel Arison which he's honestly come he's going to become probably one of the top goaltending prospects in our organization he had a really good season after being drafted by the Flyers. He played for Team Sweden in the uh, in the World Juniors too, and he was really good for Team Sweden. Really, really good. Yeah. And then in the sixth round, Ron Hextall selected Gavin Hain, and in the seventh round, Marcus Westfault. And that yeah. was the last draft for Ron Hextall. And then he was fired in the 2018 season. And then we hired Chuck Fletcher. So <laughs> I, I love how you end that. And then he was fired. He was. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how you end it. And the last move he made was uh, yeah, uh, claiming Cal Pickard off waivers. Yes, because everyone was complaining Ron Hextall to make a move during that season because the Flyers <laughs> were so bad. But he was like, I'm going to stick to the pace and not fire, not fire Dave Hextall, not make any moves. And all of our goaltenders were getting injured. I, he, didn't, he didn't care. He was staying the process, and that's why he got fired. And also, the owners were getting really impatient with this process that Hextall was doing. Getting really impatient. So, he was fired. Chuck Fletcher came in. He had to make some moves. He fired Dave Hextall, called Scott Gordon, and then which eventually turned into Lane Vigneault. We have Flyers used eight goaltenders that season, an NHL record, because that's typical Flyers right there, because we can't find a goaltender for our life. But now we have Carter Hart. And Carter Hart is going to be a mainstay in net for us. So, thank you, Ron Hextall, for him. So... Out of Ron Hextall's tenure, what would you give his, I would say, grade? What would you give him? Like, like was it a good tenure? Was it okay? Was it bad? Like, what would you think? Oh, Christ, Amadeo. Um, that's hard. That's really hard. I'd have to just go a solid B. A solid B. Solid B, yeah. I think if he did more for the Flyers themselves, I'd have to say probably A plus. If he made some smarter moves, I 
yeah, I, I definitely can't go below a B for Ron Hextall just I because because he made up he gave us the top prospect pool, one of the top prospect pools in the league, and he also dumped a lot of salary cap off our team, which was very helpful. Mm-hmm. But it's just that you can't give him a really good grade either, just because he wasn't good at putting a good product on the ice. Like he was so focused on like trying to contend while also building for the draft at the same time. I don't even which, think he was trying to contend. I think he was forced to contend. That's like, like that. That's also a thing. Like, was the front was the uh, front office like forcing Hextall to contend, or was like that his goal too? And I then think also, some of the trades that he made. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Um, some of the trades that he made were basically him wanting to tank, but then he couldn't. And I, I also don't think the players wanted the tank either, which is obviously that's understandable. Yeah, it's also that could also be a thing. And then you also think that, like the way the atmosphere that Ron Hextall gave off, I don't think a lot of players liked what he was doing because remember, remember after he was fired, remember like the a win against Buffalo and the Flyers were eating Buffalo wings in the locker room, which Ron Hextall like didn't allow the Flyers to do that, like like eat the junk food like after a game or something. Like he forced them to feed. To only eat like really healthy food, yeah. And like, it, like I think in like the with the spies, like people were saying like that maybe like some of the assistant coaches were spies that were like sending stuff to Ron Hextall or something like that. Really, I think so. I never heard that because I remember like one of our defensive coach, like the like the the assistant coach that was in charge of the defense when he got fired, and then we hired someone else when Scott Gordon came in, and then like there was like a bunch of rumors that like he was. The person that was fired was like one of the uh, the the eyes for Ron Hextall and what to do. And like, did Ron Hextall like make the call before Dave Hextall did? And as was and that's what Chuck Fletcher was doing. He was giving Dave Hextall that chance after Ron got fired to see like, okay, can Dave do this? Can like can he make something happen? And then eventually just fell even further down the drain. And Chuck Fletcher had no choice but to fire Dave Hextall and call Scott Gordon up. So it's. I would like we both said like it wouldn't be it's not a terrible tenure for Ron. We like I would like like you Chris. I would give him like a solid B minus B. I would give him that just because of what he did for the prospect part of the game and what he's adding to the team for the future right now. Like guys like Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny, Travis Sanheim. This is just Phil Myers and everyone else for our defensive pairing and Carter Hart and all that. Morgan Frost, Joel Farabee, all of those guys have been very helpful for us, and they're going to be major contributors of this team for the long, consistent future. And you have to give credit to Ron Hextall right there. It's just right now, it's Chuck Fletcher's job to bring that all together to make it work as one and to win a Stanley Cup right now. Because I feel like that's the goal right now for the Flyers. Like You have the right mix of veteran leadership and young talent to possibly go out there and contend for a Stanley Cup. And the way the Flyers were playing until the break, they were one of the hottest teams and they could have been a major threat going into the playoffs. And that's going to be the key right there. Can the Flyers find a way to get that momentum from when the NHL season stopped? And that's going to be the key right there. So That's the biggest thing. It, like, it definitely is. Whoever yeah. wins this is going to ride momentum from the minute they touch the ice to the last game. Yes, I can definitely see that happening. It's just because when one team gets hot, I feel like that, that's the team that's going to be the unstoppable team because every team is going into this with no momentum. Every team's cold. 
then once that one team gets hot, there's no stopping them, I feel. And maybe that one team could be the Philadelphia Flyers. Could be. God, I hope it is. I I, I hope with you, Chris. I really hope with you. So we <laughs> for are my getting, mental health, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, for your mental <laughs> and health. Yours too. Uh, I think for our, the city of Philadelphia's mental health. I think that's the most important thing right there. So we are getting <laughs> close. We are getting to the end of this podcast. This was a very long one. We did warn you in the beginning. So thank you for listening to this episode of the of the Flyered Up podcast. And we will come back next time when there's more news. We're going to come back after the NHL draft lottery to see what happens there, who gets the first overall pick, second overall pick, and so forth. So it's some exciting times. The Phase 3 is getting closer to starting, and also Phase 4 is getting closer here. So stick with us at the Flyered Up podcast for more news updates. Don't forget to follow us on our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram at Flyered Up Podcast. And we will see you next time on the Flyered Up podcast. See you later, everyone.